All right, here we are, day two of Geo Week. Day two, yeah. Here Survived we go. day one. Yeah, yeah. Had an amazing meal last night. Uh, had a blast. Yep. Our good friends at David Evans were very, very generous. Yes, they were. Had a big old hunk of meat. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did have the meat sweats last night, so yeah. I'm not used to eating that big of a chunk of meat. It's right. pretty good. It's pretty good. All right. So our first guest this morning is uh, is Rich. Rich, go ahead and do a uh, self introduction. Just give us your name, who you're with, and what you do. Okay, my name is uh, Richard Serby. I am the president and owner and chief custodian at GeoSearch Incorporated. Uh, we um, I started business at in June of 1988 and uh, since then uh, we have been we have specialized in the geospatial uh, sciences uh, exclusively well wow. so we grew up with the what's now called an industry hmm. um, it was it was uh, a lot of mom-and-pop mapping companies uh, spread around the country and yep. uh, one of those companies in my home, in our home of Colorado Springs, invited me to do uh, recruitment for them. And uh, uh, it uh, was a, a chance for us to be introduced to an industry, uh, to a profession that uh, has been a very good, uh, wonderful ride ever since because it just changes and grows and gets be uh, bigger and better and differentiated. And uh, so... Um, and then my daughter Jessica um, has basically taken over the operations of the business and I have a niece who has uh, been with us for eight years and she's a superstar, Chelsea, and another niece in Wisconsin who just joined us, uh, works remotely and uh, it appears as though of, of my uh, female uh, relatives, they are just all really great, wonderful, smart people. <laughs> <laughs> you really looked out there. <laughs> success breeds success, right? But I do have to note one real quick thing. Yeah. Uh, a, you know, a, a basically a recruiting company, you know. Yeah, we and, do personnel recruitment. But for the company itself, you really didn't go too far out of the family bubble to recruit for the, for yeah. the family. Well, uh, the Even though that's what you specialize in. I was alone for 10 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. I, I operated alone for 10 years, and then uh, my daughter, who was uh, doing uh, sales for a radio station in Colorado Springs, um, and was very successful at it, um, uh, called me and said uh, they have sold the radio station, mm. and it's... Uh, uh, very apparent that we are going to be replaced by other people and I said well I am very busy right now do you want to come and help me yeah and uh, she just like took off like a rocket ship you know yeah it was like second nature to her so yeah um, and and then Chelsea after that and uh, Liz um, in uh, in Wisconsin and then I uh, added a, a male uh, recently, six weeks ago, um, and he's only 63 years old, 10 years younger than me. So I said, "You are the young hunk." Uh, <laughs> the spring this, chicken this, of the group. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the hunk, of, the, the hunk, a hunk of love, you know. Now, and so you need to, you know, get on your spurs and get out there. And uh, so they're wandering the floor right now. Oh, wow. oh nice. Cool. <laughs> Recruiting. Recruiting. Yes. Uh, actually, just introducing us. Uh, to uh, businesses that we uh, perhaps were not aware of before, 
uh, reacquainting ourselves with people that we have worked with before um, and uh, saying hi to those who are, we are working with presently. So it's just a matter of us uh, um, you know, getting to know um, especially those companies that didn't exist mm -hmm. a few years ago when this was normal again, yeah. this kind of uh, gathering, yeah. and then it went away for a while, and now uh, everything seems to be back to where it should be. Yep. Before we go any further, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't thank Richard and uh, GeoSearch for their support of the Geoholics. They are a new yeah. friend of the program this year. Absolutely. We are excited and very thankful for your support. Absolutely. And I've been, for the last two years, I'm like, why do we not have a, a geospatial recruiter as a friend of the program? It's just like the perfect match, you know? For what we're doing, the exposure that we're providing, oh, sure, the yeah. outreach that we have. Uh, we're just really excited to have you on board. Well, we appreciate it, and um, I was a radio guy as a young man for about three years in my hometown at an FM station that I think went from uh, here to the fire hydrant. <laughs> uh, but it was That's fun. Awesome. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun, so uh, I kind of kind of get a kick out of this that uh, we yeah. actually, I'm back in radio. There you again. go. Sure, yeah. For, for 15 minutes. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, like, what... Um, what, what inspired you to you know, be, be a geospatial recruiter? I mean, it's kind of an odd thing. What, what did you see, gosh, back in 1988 that uh, make, you, make you think it was a really good idea? It wasn't a good idea um, at all. Uh, it wasn't even my idea. Um, I was uh, housed as a career coach. I was working with individuals who were trying to make decisions about uh, what's ahead for me, whether they were 18 years old or 48 years old. Mm. And um, at the same time, I housed myself uh, with a recruiter and um, had been introduced to a vice president of a mapping company called Analytical Surveys in Colorado Springs, which was uh, owned and operated by a, a, a very highly intelligent person, John Fork. And he, um, uh, this vice president, uh, George Southard, said, you know, we are really experiencing difficulty finding qualified people in photogrammetry and this new thing called GIS. Um, so um, they said, do you think you could uh, help us? And I, he explained in uh, cartography language uh, what it is they needed. And, he, and uh, I said, no, I don't think I can help you because I haven't understood a word you've said. But, um, he said, would you be willing to come in and meet the owner of the uh, company um, and, uh, uh, and take a nickel tour of what we do and how it operates? And so I did that. And uh, so I said, okay, um, I'll take a shot at it. And they sent me home with a stack of technical journals. And so the learning curve was straight up. And so I had to learn uh, language and acronyms and how things fit together. And I was successful in finding people for them. And uh, so they, uh, uh, they, uh, they, they became, uh, became an unbroken, retained client for 12 years straight uh, until the company was sold. And um, about 75% of the people that worked there came through my office. Um, and then I had been calling around the country um, and every, all mapping companies were experiencing the same problems. And so I began to just add uh, surveying and mapping companies uh, as clients um, and still doing it. Wow. So what, 
I guess it's maybe the same question, but uh, what what makes you good at what you do, and what separates GeoSearch from other firms that are out there that do the same thing essentially? Well, there, there are no others that do a, do the same thing okay. because uh, not very many. Uh, a lot of uh, recru- uh, recruiters now sort of understand what GIS is. Well, there's a lot more to it than just GIS. Yeah. There's a whole lot of components to it. Um, basically, communication skills, uh, the ability to uh, explain that uh, we walk a very uh, a tightrope um, ethically and morally um, in that if we work for your company, we want to make sure that we protect your good reputation or enhance your good reputation. When we're working with candidates who don't pay us anything, we treat them with respect and understand that uh, they are a very important part of our business and that we want to make sure that we enhance their career and we do not damage their career. So um, confidentiality and a high standard of ethics is just really crucial in what we do. Interesting. Yeah. How do you stay up to date like on uh, current trends like within the geospatial industry? Because it's, it's, it's developing at such a rapid pace. How do you keep up with all that? I'll tell you what, it was, better, it was easier when I was younger. Um, um, <laughs> and it was evolving a bit more slowly back in the beginning. Uh, but I'd, there's not a week that goes by that I don't see something that I've not seen before. Hmm. Uh, Some kind of a technology that's been developed, some kind of an offshoot of another technology that's been developed, another company that I didn't know was there before. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, uh, uh, you you know, it's uh, the kind of thing that, you know, a a client will come to us and say, uh, we need someone with this particular uh, technical skill uh, with five years of experience, and I would say, well, I found out yesterday this technology was invented five minutes ago, <laughs> so there's no one out there with five years of experience, but we'll do the best we can. Yeah, that's a really good point, <laughs> for sure. So what advice would you give somebody, uh, a candidate, you know, somebody looking for a job in the geospatial field? Um, is, there just, is there any kind of like general advice you can give folks? Um, if, you, um, if you love... Uh, 3D full color images of beautiful maps and that really is something that you would like to do day in and day out and enjoy making those kinds of products. Um, If you enjoy the idea of being in an airplane and taking pictures of the earth um, or flying a drone or if you like the uh, if you like the idea of being in a in a Jeep with a GPS unit doing surveying if you, all of that sounds like it's really interesting to you, um, hop in there because there's a future. Yep. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Yep. What about the, uh, you know, starting a business from scratch? And, I, and, and I'm really curious on, have you been, have you, how the, the longevity and how have you lasted this long and still been successful for all these years? The first two years were very, very scary. Uh, because I started my business on a small savings account and a credit card with a $5,000 limit. Um, So I had to be very creative about um, how I uh, progressed. Um, I worked out of a uh, spare bedroom in our home uh, for a long time. 
and I had a post-it note of, and I and I realized even that early on that what I need is a computer that I can build a database and uh, with a sticky note on my screen saying just do something. Oh, love it. Love that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I really like that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, how do people find out more about GeoSearch? And is it, like, obviously there's a website, I'll have you go ahead and give that, and if somebody's looking for a job, they can go to geosearch.com, right? Is that what the website is? Well, they can go, they can, um, um, they can any multiple ways, of course, okay. you can go to geosearch.com and do it that way. Uh, our, uh, my uh, direct telephone line is 719-575-9100. That is my direct office line, I don't have a secretary, so I answer the phone. Um, and I'm happy to talk to anybody that wants to either um, use us uh, uh, finding folks or that person that said, how do I get involved and what do I do next? Mm. And we'll uh, oftentimes, especially with new college graduates or for that mid-career person that all of a sudden has uh, lost their job, yep. um, then uh, we'll turn our database around um, and provide as many as a hundred contacts within the industry with rules of how you approach these contacts. And uh, that is often a, a free service because we want to make sure that we're connecting with the folks out there that, that feed us, and that is uh, our prospective candidates who are a good fit for our client. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got one last question. <clears throat> so what do you think about the salaries, like the salaries are just continuing to skyrocket in a lot of cases. And for you, it's probably a really good thing, you know, from a fee perspective, I suppose. But do you think it's sustainable? Well, we're no different than any other industry in that respect. Um, you know, that is a uh, not only a nationwide, but that's actually a global wide issue mm. that's going on right now is that, uh, uh, you know, we're um, we, we find that our clients are, some of them having some kind of a, a difficult transition because they've bid projects and they're doing projects based on data that they were using a year ago or two years ago or three years ago yep. based on wages and salaries. And so a part of that uh, contract and winning that contract also includes what it's going to cost for staff. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're kind of caught in the, in the middle of that. Um, and then uh, with, uh, with COVID, um, we experienced a lot of uh, things that actually turned out to be good, and that is remote office location, working from home. Yep. And that really helped control wages and salaries uh, because people enjoyed working from home and they were willing to do it for less money. Oh, yeah. Yep, good point. Good point. You anything else, Sean? Uh, no, no, no. That's really interesting. I just love the whole perspective of, especially how it's a, how you know the company has evolved and and where it's at now. It's and, impressive. And uh, I'm assuming uh, uh, potential clients and employers that are looking for people can uh, contact you the same way, right? Contact any of us the same way. We all have the same uh, uh, email um, and. The, and if, it, if a phone call comes through, um, uh, I make sure that Jessica or Chelsea get get that right away because they're the ones that are going to do the grunt work on that. Um, and the uh, in terms of uh, how the business grew, I'll tell you, it's it's a matter of 
um, I will not fail. But what my plan was, get two kids through college and maybe one or two weddings. And then if, if my business lasts that long, yeah. now I'm looking at granddaughters. Um, and if <laughs> yeah, for, for, the, for their awesome. college and their, and their uh, weddings and so forth. And uh, I'll tell you what, I, 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 it was the best decision. It was the best thing that actually fell in my lap. And I have really enjoyed the ride. That's awesome. Oh, that's great. I will not fail. Do something. Do something. Love it. Love, <laughs> Love it. it. Richard, thank you yeah, so much for your so time much. this morning. Right. Hey, and, uh, this, this has been fun, man. Thank <laughs> you again for your support of the show. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, yeah. Fantastic and great. And best of luck. Thank Thanks. You. All right. We're back. We are back. My voice, hopefully it holds out the next couple of days. I'm telling you, you're you get you're already a little raspy for before noon. So I know, I know. Might need some, uh, might need a hot toddy, as they say. Yeah, yeah, that might be able to ground one up around here. Yep, yep. All right, but we have a guest with us. Yep. Let's focus on him. We're gonna let him introduce himself. Why don't you just give us your name? Uh, you know who you're with, what you do, just some general information. Uh, Mark Alancula. Um Let's see. I'm. With myself, I'm an artist. <laughs> awesome. Okay. And I use, you know, GIS, GN, GNSS, you know, mm-hmm. technology uh, in my artwork, uh, and that led me down the road of getting a cert in GIS. Oh wow! So okay. I'm currently enrolled in um, uh, what is it, uh, Colorado Mountain College uh, in Leadville, uh, and then I'm, I'm getting my cert, my GIS cert there. Cool. Nice. I'm in my last class. I'm in my remote sensing class, so I'm kind of in the proper place. Yeah, yeah. You know, for like, you know, oh, here, download the data. Okay, great. Oh, where does the data come from? Oh, all these crazy machines. Um, yes. There's plenty the of place. crazy machines around here. Yeah, exactly. crazy machines. I couldn't believe it. Even like some of the software these guys are running, it's like, oh, running like this live, this around the corner, there's these guys doing this live LiDAR demo. demo. Mm. It's amazing. Mm. You know, and they did a good job because they hired a proper UI uh, designer to <laughs> do a decent job. You see a lot of these data visualizations, and you're like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. But then, you know, you can tell which ones, you know, they hired a designer. And that one's really cool. Hmm. We'll have to check it out. Yeah. I think at the company's name, but they're right yeah. over there. Yeah. We'll have to make the uh, walk of shame at some point. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so let's focus on your art. You uh, were showing us some examples before we jumped on here. Right. My main project, uh, and I call this my alpha project, is uh, Loom Machina. And Loom Machina is like schoolyard Latin for light machine. Mm. So okay. basically, cool. you know, what I call my Mavic and my lights, you know, I just have a Mavic Pro, the original Mavic Pro, and a couple of Loom Cubes, and that's it. That's my light machine. And I have a I have a background in VFX. I used to make commercials uh, when I lived in New York. Uh, I live in Breckenridge now. I'm basically a ski bum now, which is so jealous, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, but you know, what did I do wrong, Sean? <laughs> uh, I, I, well, I that's a that's a whole different show, that, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> a whole different show. <laughs> but you know, I'm still compelled to make art, um, trying to sell prints, but. Um, you know, this, uh, this idea came out of a pitch uh, that I did a while ago when I was working in New York for, for a big agency. We were pitching a big live show, and they wanted something really cool and disruptive, and I kind of came up with this idea, and 
2011, I think. Yeah, about 2011. Wow. Uh, pitched it and, you know, pitched it internally to the, you know, the guys who ran the agency. And they're like, wow, this is great. This is a really great idea. But how much does it cost? And have you done this before? And I'm like, of course not, because the drones cost, you know, back then they cost twenty thousand mm, dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, well, no, but I know the concept is sound. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it looks like it's sound, but you know, we're not, we're not, and our clients are not in the business of R and D. So even though this is a great idea, we can't pitch it. So it was another one of those ideas that was going to die in the pitch. And I was just like, nah, I'm going to just, I was, I already planned to move back to Colorado. I grew up here and, you know, went to art school here in Denver, right? And moved back and I was like, well, I have time. I have space because I lived in New York City. There's, you know, the airspace down there is, you know, anything on the East Coast is crazy. Airspace up here is like, oh, this is great. Up in the mountains. I'm not going to bother anybody. I got miles and miles of BLM land just to make as big as an object in the sky that I, as I can. So, you know, I figured out, I started building drones, you know, I bought a, a, a DJI flywheel, like a, a 500 flywheel, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. You know, that early kit mm-hmm. before they started, you know, selling phantoms. Yep. And just sort of put it together and like, oh, I flew it and it was so super sloppy. I have a couple of images. With that, the original? With the original <laughs> and they're so sloppy. I mean, I did it, but, and then I was like, oh, I have a little bit of money, and I bought a, bought a Mavic Pro, and then that was it after yeah. that. Because those, I mean, it's amazing how well those things are. Yeah. So for the people that are listening, yeah. you know, we, we've, got a, we've got a chance to look at some of, the, some of the, your, your art there. It's really cool. How would you describe that to the audience of, of you know, what your, you know what, your, what your stuff is all about? And, and how you do it, it? I mean, it's so unique. I, I refer to them as massive temporal sculptures, right? Because they're as big as I can l- legally do it, 400 feet. Okay. Right? They're usually about, you know, the height, of, the actual height is probably like 380 feet because they're like 20 feet off the ground, but they're huge objects. And I describe them as objects, right? Because when I'm working on them in a 3D program, sort of sculpting them out, they're fully 3D objects. And just to sort of realize them in real life, you just have to run it and let the temporal aspect take over and you can watch it happen and it's, you know, I, I, to see a single drone flying by itself in the night sky is remarkably captivating. I wouldn't think it would be, right? but it is. You put two up at the same time at night in the dark, and it's that much more captivating, right? The trout thing that I did, where I had four drones up at the time, I had four professional pilots sort of piloting it. These guys were like, ah, oh, you know, I've seen, I've flown everything before, I've seen everything before. And these guys were so stoked after it, and they were like <laughs> screaming when it was flying because, you know, due to the forced perspective, you know, you'd have a drone going north, a drone going south, and it looks like they're going to collide, but they're still like three, you know, 200 feet apart from each other. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, vertically. Yeah, yeah. And these guys are like, ah, screaming, you know. And, and I told them, like, I, sh- I did a bunch of simulations, too, because I knew, you know, if I have somebody else flying it, they need to know that it's going to be completely safe. Right. Right. So I did all these simulations to show where the position of the drones will be from all these different angles so I can prove to them that they're not going to collide. Right. Right. Uh, but they were like, oh, my God. 
because they had like I had different color lights on them, so like red and blue, and so they were referring to the drums as red and blue. So they're like, look at red and blue, look at red and blue, and they just pass each other. So, so it's like it's it's weird. It's weird. Like yeah. like thinking about what a big drone show is, where they have thousands of drones yeah. up, versus yeah. something where it's like one, right? Maybe two. It's very different. So my uh, my five year old brain trying to understand this. You have the you have a drone sometimes multiple drones, and they have lights on them. You do this at night, and you have, uh, for lack of a better term, a flight plan for each drone to create a certain shape. And is it more like a, like a time-lapse thing? Is oh, that that's you, exactly it. Yeah, is yes. that what it is? Is that how you get those images? Yes. Okay. Okay. And where do you see, because like, uh, I saw some, some videos on there, too, that do you... Is this going to go to more of a video component, or, or, you, or is it, the goal is still a still image? Or yeah, do you want to show people how you did it? Well, the, the video is really just sort of like the BTS kind of, you know, behind the scenes, sure. how it's being made. You yeah. know, when you see a sculptor, like, sculpting something out, they're like, chip, chip, chip it away. It's the same thing. Okay. It's like, this is how it's being created. But here's the image. And the image is really just the document of the sculpture in its position, in its place. Ah, uh, okay, right? yeah, yeah. Because it's not really, it's, it's about the shape of you know whatever the whatever the piece is right i do a lot of abstract shapes but i also do like script and also you know like the trout there's a physical there's a thing that looks like a thing right mm -hmm. so there's like three different types of work but it's not just that it's not just the shape of it it's it's about where it's placed in position as well so it's sort of you know i do a piece for a very specific spot and then that piece just that's it for that piece, it's over. I work on another one and try it's to find crazy. a spot for it. Yeah. And it's, it's actually, it's, it's kind of easy just to sort of sit there in front of a machine and just make things all day long, because I could do that all day long. <laughs> the hard part is getting out in the field and, and doing it. And doing it. Huh. And I would think it would be the opposite, but it's not. No, it's interesting. Because it's, it's like, it's cold at night in the mountains. And, I gotcha, gotcha. And I'm usually yeah. doing it by myself in the dark. And I, and I have to do this during new moons as well, so I have to work on a moon schedule mm -hmm. because, yeah. you know, if I do this while the moon's out, it looks like, you know, an exposure that's over oh, five minutes, yeah, it yeah. looks like daylight. Right. So it, it kind of, it's weird. Those pictures look weird because it looks like daylight, but there's still stars in the background. And it's just, it's confusing. Yeah. So I only, I work where it's like as dark as possible. And up in Park County in Colorado, it's very dark up there. How long does what does a, a typical piece take to, you know, how long are you out there at night? Um, so I, ha I, I will do extensive daylight testing. Like I'll fly it in the daylight just to make sure everything works. And then I usually go to the location, fly it again during the daylight just to make sure that I'm not going, I'm not going to hit anything or just mm -hmm. whatever. I'll just throw it up again just to make sure everything's, everything's cool. Yeah. And then I'll just sit there and wait for it to get, to get dark. And that takes like three to four hours. So I'll just sort of sit there and wait till yeah. it gets dark. I'll take a bunch of test exposures. I know how long my exposure is yeah. at that point because I do all the daylight tests. Oh, yeah, yeah. So like, oh, this takes eight minutes. So I'll sit there and start taking eight-minute exposures until it's dark enough. And as soon as it's dark enough, then I start running the flights. And I'll run it as many times as I can to get as many exposures as I can, and I'll just pick the best one. Oh, cool. 
it's so hard to explain. You know, I mean, you have to see this. So hopefully when people listen to this, they're going to reach out. You know, yeah. what, how, where do people find you? How can they see this imagery? Uh, Lumachina.com. How do you spell that? L-U-M-E. Um, let's get the Machina, M-A-C-H-I-N-A. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Lumachina.com. Um, you know, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. But, you know, if you go to Lumachina.com, there's links to all of that. In there. Okay. Every, all the links to everything that you'd ever need with Lumachina is on Lumachina.com. And but all the hot stuff's on Instagram. So. Okay, okay, yeah. Follow me on Instagram. Yeah, for sure. And, and I also saw one thing I want to mention is um, it's not just like objects. You're also doing text as well. Like you can spell words because like my mind races and I'm like. Well, that, I mean, that was my question. Like, when are you going commercial? Exactly. Yeah. I, are, as are, soon I, as somebody wants to you know, <laughs> commission okay. a piece, you know, I'm available. I, you know, I, I come from an advertising background. I know okay. what, I know what it right, is to right, pitch right, sure. and all that stuff. And I have the proof of concepts. And it's just like, I can, you know, if anybody wants something and I can show it. Oh, I touched the microphone. I can show them what it will look like before we even do it. Yeah, I, so, I just, I'm just picturing like Geo Week in the Colorado night sky would be like such a, such a cool thing. But, right, absolutely. You know. But, it, you know, but there's this weird time component to it, right? Right, That's the yeah, thing that kind of yeah. messes it up. That makes it very different from a live drone show because you can watch it, but it's completely abstract. It doesn't make sense until you have the document. Or you're on a lot of mushrooms. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know. <laughs> There's that. It is we, are in, we are in Denver. It is decriminalized. So. <laughs> right. Um, but, God, what was the other point? I was, I was going to make one more point about the time versus, um, I lost it. <laughs> too many, too many of that, those mushrooms, I guess. <laughs> oh man, but we'll definitely get people to reach out to you. I mean, this is so unique. I'm blown away by it. I'm glad you stopped by. Oh, yeah. I'm glad I got invited. Thank you. Yeah, no, we appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, this is this is really cool. Something yeah, totally different. Loom Machina. Love it. Cool stuff. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Cheers, Cheers, Cheers. Thank yep. you. All right. Next up, we have Lexi. Lexi, if you would, just a quick self-introduction, name, you know, who you're with, what you do, why you're here. Okay. My name is Lexi Zadis. There is no E at the end of Lexi. Mm. I'm with Aerial Sphere. So we specialize in 360-degree aerial panoramic imagery. It's pretty unique because all of our pixels within our images are geolocated, mm. which makes it really actionable from a geospatial ta- standpoint. From there, we're going to get into it. We have two product lines. One is our proprietary JavaScript API. The other is to operate within the Esri ecosystem. We have tools and widgets to help our oriented imagery stand out. So for instance, if you're looking to build a catalog of drone imagery, terrestrial ground imagery, or URL imagery, we built special multi-oriented imagery catalog viewer widgets, which is a mouthful, but to make our imagery of use in Esri ecosystems. So of use, let's define that. What, okay. are, what, are, uh, what are folks doing with this type of imagery? So because you can build multiple catalogs, you could take multiple drone flights and bring it to one space, one project. So it's really of use to inspection workers, anyone operating a drone who has a massive amount of imagery but needs it in multiple catalog format. Um, otherwise, our XP360 JavaScript API is really big with commercial development, real estate and local and city governments, especially for economic development and transportation projects. So it's a, it's a software company. Software company. Um, yeah, right now software, also data, because we do sell our imagery just raw, if you're interested. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yep, so a few different product lines. 
Uh, how, how big is Aerial Sphere? Yep, you got it. Uh, it's super small. I I want to say we're like 16 to 20 at most. So okay. really small company. Uh, is it based out of Phoenix? Based out of Phoenix, Arizona. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean... How I'm do we not know about this? I don't know how we we're, live we're in that based town. Oh, you're in Phoenix. I just you're saw that. I just, yes. Yeah, wow. Okay, you guys. Match made in heaven, I guess. This yeah. is crazy. Clearly, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is really wild. I actually just moved to Phoenix in August, so I'm still getting a lay of the land. August was probably the worst time to move to Absolutely. the desert. It yeah, is, yes, yeah, I'm still mm-hmm. not over it. So yeah, yeah, it traumatizes people for sure. Yeah, that is actually the story of my memoir. Uh, moving to Phoenix in August. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get into this industry? Great question. So I graduated from right here in Denver, MSU, uh, right downtown, yep. in May. So a recent grad. It took me seven years, so I should have a PhD, but instead I have a bachelor's degree Sounds like me. <laughs> in geography, and then I have a minor and certificate in GIS. Honestly, cool. I just kind of stumbled upon it from my geography classes and realized hmm. GIS is wicked cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you heard Jack from Esri talk earlier, yeah. he gets it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Rockstar. Yeah. So that's kind of how it all happened. It just stumbled upon it. Cool. Yeah. So what do you do for this company? What's your job? Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, hey, there's Nick. Uh, yeah, that's Nick. <laughs> uh, I'm a sales engineer. So I work obviously on the sales team, given the title. Uh, also a little bit with the product team. Um, just kind of in the mix of it all. Since it is such a small company, everybody wears a lot of hats given the day, which sure. I think makes it more interesting. So I like being a part of the startup environment for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Nice. Can I ask you two a question? Oh. Uh, <laughs> Well, we haven't been asked any questions yet, but... How did I know this was going to (laughs) happen? Spin the table, if you will. Um, How did you two get into podcasting, especially about geography, geospatial, GIS? Okay. Uh Fair enough. Fair Fair question. question. Thank you. I should be able to answer this one. You should. So uh, I'm a professional land surveyor, and I've been working in the survey mapping industry for 30 plus years. Uh, About three years ago, a buddy of mine and myself, we... uh, podcast fans, Joe Rogan, you know, <laughs> my idol. Uh, and he was a big podcast fan as well. And we're like, hey, you know, uh, poking around, you know, there's no podcast for surveyors or geospatial right. or anything like that. So we're like, hey, let's start a podcast. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and uh, 180 episodes and three years later and 110,000 downloads. Yeah. Um, it's like I, I say, you know, it's for lack of better words, just taking out a life of its own at this point. You know, we yeah. have nice. we have corporate sponsors. Um, you know, Sean's been on board for nearly a year now, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's allowed us to do really cool stuff like this. Definitely. You know, we take the show on the road. We were at Dimensions last year. You know, state conferences. We were here last year, actually. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just it's opened up so many doors, and we're pretty much addicted to it at this wow. point. Yeah, so, it's yeah, really. that's why you're a holic. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Sean, is your background in surveying as well? Uh, no, I'm the black sheep here because okay. I'm a civil engineer. Oh no, so, that's nice. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the forgotten child. In, no, no, in no. Bridges like exist because of you, so that's good. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. But it uh, there's a lot of Kent and I work at the same firm, so um, there's there a go. lot of lateral interest, and in, you know, I'm I'm slowly inching in uh, an engineering mm-hmm. geotechnical perspective to the geoholics. Okay, I love it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Question for you. Okay. <laughs> Before this gets out of hand. Before this gets out of hand. <laughs> so how do you, like the files that you guys are generating or, or that are generated with your software, mm-hmm. how are those files, are they huge files? How, what, is the, how, what does the file management look like? Uh, great, great question. So I wouldn't really call them files as much as our 
imagery, which is in a spherical format mm -hmm. when it is uploaded to our API or our dashboard, it's all stored um, in AWS. That being said, you could access our database through our JavaScript API. And the file sizes, I actually don't really know. Um, so to make the sphere, you have four images that we bring in-house and stitch into one image. The sky, we just we just put that bad boy in using Photoshop, I'm not going to lie to you. So <laughs> the images are stitched in-house. So I guess you would be looking at one of the cube faces and how large of a file format that is. Yeah. That's an answer I don't know, unfortunately. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. It's just always a challenge, you know, like managing the data. Managing the data. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. So funny you say that. Uh, going back to the Esri ecosystem, we just came out with a web app um, to help manage data. So drone flights are really cool. big, inspections huge. Um, when you have all this imagery coming in after a flight, like thousands, thousands of images, what the heck do you do with it? Where do you put it all? So we came up with a solution for that, where you just drop a file, um, drop your folder into what we call our OIC wizard. Hmm. Pretty, pretty badass name. And then it takes only a few minutes to upload into Esri's cloud. So we came up with a solution for other people to get their images quickly. Yeah. I think Lexi has uh, officially set the record for uh, using acronyms. Yes. There's a bunch of them flying around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got, I got, I got kind of lost there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. Oriented imagery catalog for those of us who do not know. Oh, yeah. There yes. we go. I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do folks, uh, how do folks find out more about this? Super cool. Super unique. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is really cool. And you know, what? if you're interested, you should contact me. My email is Alexandra. Zadis at aerialsphere.com or just go to aerialsphere's website. Um, but yeah, I think it's. Since we are a startup, we're always looking for partnerships and getting exposure out there. Yeah. But oh, it nice. is, uh, we're operating in a really unique space. And I think 2023, you could quote me here, will be the year of oriented imagery. So those OICs will be of use. <laughs> Love it. Are you guys uh, social media? Um, we're getting more of a social media presence. We just got a TikTok, so mm. <laughs> it's pretty big for us. But yeah, we have Instagram, we're on LinkedIn. I would definitely follow our LinkedIn page. And I think we, we do have a Facebook as well, if you're still on there. Yeah. I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, Facebook is dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> no question, no question. Anything else, Sean? Uh, I, I did have a question, and I was, I was curious about, uh, we talk about culture a lot, mm -hmm. you know, company culture mm -hmm. and being in a startup. Yeah. Go in a little bit about, you know, what it's mm -hmm. like being, you know, Working wow. at Aerosphere and, like and, and the culture of the company and how it's evolving. Sean, no one's ever asked me that before. That's a really good question. Hey, not just a pretty face on it. <laughs> yeah, not just thought? looks here. Thought? So, uh, like I said, graduated in May. Before that, I was working in the service industry, bartending, serving. So this was kind of me putting my resume out there as much as possible, knowing I was going to get my degree. And when I got accepted in accepted Aerosphere in August, I was drawn to it because of the startup atmosphere. Mm -hmm. I knew of the ecosystem a little bit, it being fast paced. Like I said, you wear many hats, so you learn a lot. Also, because it's so small, you feel comfortable asking anybody any questions at any time of the day. Sometimes it could be intimidating talking to developers, for instance, and I don't want to feel like I'm taking up too much of their time. But in at Aerialsphere, at least, I feel really comfortable bothering them for literally anything, even if it's just to see how their day is. Nice. So I really like that. Uh, it's a family company as well, and it really does feel like a family. Everybody is really close. So just the amount of skills that I'm gaining from the questions that I'm asking and the freedom that we have. Our, our um, president, Susie, is really encouraging of us all getting as many skills as possible. And if we want certifications or licenses, going out there and exploring that idea. So I think I land at the right place at the right time in my life. It really sounds like it. Yeah. It's awesome. And who are your... Uh, like? typical clients? Yeah, so clients, I mean, 
if you're looking, we're looking. But <laughs> uh, our company is founded by some real estate investors. So okay. real estate was really big for us. We actually started with that in mind. So we mass captured the United States, hmm. capturing the 70 largest MSAs first. Um, metropolitan statistical areas for Thank those you. of us who don't Thank know. You. Yeah, you're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, because uh, it was brought to our attention that for real estate and for real estate development, that's huge. So yeah, we had a backbone in real estate from there. Commercial developers, land development, all that good stuff came on board. So real estate was our big fish that we had to fry. And from there, that's that's kind of how we started getting into Esri. We're, we're a new partner, just a year deep. So we're looking forward to seeing what's going to come out of that. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. I think there's a. I think there's gonna be more of this conversation after. I have after a feeling. This. Well, yes. I think there's some connections. Apparently, yeah. so. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. And I just realized that guy that walked by. I know Nick. Cool. Come on. Yeah. You know Nick. I do. Oh For my god. <laughs> Personally. Oh really? Yeah. He's a friend of a friend. Oh my god. We've hung out. Be honest. Oh he can't hear. Yes. He can't hear us. That's do you crazy. like him? Do you like him? He's great. You know, Nick's the best. <laughs> <laughs> Nick is the best. This conference has been super fun. What are you talking about? Of course uh, he can hear us. We are recording this. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Well, Lexi, thank yeah, you for yeah, your Lexi, time. Thank you guys. It's been Absolutely. really, really yeah. interesting. What yep. a nice time. Great energy. Yeah, okay. yeah. Enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks. Yeah. You too. Thank you so much. All right, we're back. Uh, we have Mark with us. Mark, why don't you just briefly give us your name, who you're with, and what you do? Okay, I'll try to keep it brief. Yeah. <laughs> Floor is yours, All buddy. right. Floor's I'm going to take this away. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm Mark Goldman. I'm the director of AEC Industry Solutions at Esri. Been at Esri for about three years after a pretty long career at the intersection of construction and technology. Uh, a long time ago, I studied civil engineering and architecture, but uh, realized that technology was more fun than sitting in front of a board drawing and drafting and trying to put together drawings for imaginary projects. Um, so I uh, got bit by the tech bug early on, left school, started a CAD consulting business way back in the day, was doing some early 3D modeling of architectural projects down in New Orleans, oh, out to school cool. at Tulane. Nice. And... Uh, Eventually Autodesk found out about what I was doing and hired away some of my best talent and some of my best talent reached out to me and said, Mark, you got to come out to California. So <laughs> I uh, joined Autodesk, worked there for about five or six years in the heyday of, of CAD and then left and joined a startup in the, in the same space, construction hmm. tech. Ended up joining Autodesk again after a, a couple of failed dot bombs. And uh, dot bombs. so I've you know, been at Autodesk twice in my career, worked at Hexagon for a little while and always at the intersection of construction and tech. Now, do you have that that little phrase copyrighted just for you? Because it sounds really it sounds really it. cool, and you said it many times. I've said this a number <laughs> of times. Especially this yeah. week, I'm sure. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you said back in the day, just out of curiosity, what was the first version of AutoCAD you used? 2.18. Oh I was in high school, uh, leaving, leaving as a junior and senior every day, midday, to go to a consulting engineering firm, mm -hmm. working on Prime Medusa Systems, a CAD application called CADM, that the computer was about the size of this six-foot table with a, with a digitizing board that was literally the size, mm -hmm. that you had a pen and a joystick yeah, yes. and a big keyboard. Yep. Yep. Um, went off to school, worked in the CAD labs in both the architecture and the engineering school that had early versions of AutoCAD, came back to the engineering firm and said, there's this thing called AutoCAD that's a fraction of the cost and much easier and lots of people know it. And I taught this engineering consulting firm how to use AutoCAD 2.18. Wow. wow. On, on probably a pirated copy back then. Oh, sure. Right. Was that like uh, <laughs> dual floppies? It was. Yep. That was, yeah. Remember, yeah, that was, yep. yeah. If you had a hard drive those days, you were, you yep. were cruising. Five, what were they, five and a quarter inch floppies? Five and a quarter inch wow. discs. Yeah, floppy yep. jockey. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. That's awesome. I'm dating so, myself now. Oh, hey, I'm right there with you, unfortunately. Um, so what about what you're doing now? Uh, yeah. Talk a little bit about what an AEC industry solution manager does. Yeah, no, it's, it's actually, I'm, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I get to talk to customers who are some of the leaders in AEC work around the globe who have realized that GIS is just as powerful of a tool as the CAD and BIM and 3D modeling applications that they've probably been using for a lot longer. GIS is kind of emerging in AEC for the most part. And these days, the ability to bring your CAD and GIS and BIM all together in a web environment with 3D, connected to sensors, delivering on all this promise of digital twins is, is real. So I'm out there listening to what customers are doing, getting examples on screen, converting that into articles and podcasts and webinars and events. So I can't complain. Man, Speaking our really language cool. there, yeah, the whole yeah. digital twins thing. <laughs> yeah, we talk yeah. about that a lot. And of course, uh, the metaverse. Yeah. Things like that. Industrial metaverse. Not 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 the Facebook metaverse. That whole yes. talk. But tell no, me about the industrial. Yeah, please yeah. Go, in, go in there yeah. a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's something I'm just kind of, you know, scratching the surface myself. But when I, like most people, saw um, the, the Facebook metaverse and the idea that yeah. you're going to, you know, sit down for dinner with your family members <laughs> virtually, it's like, who's really going to do that? Yeah. But the idea that... The, the built world could be simulated and visualized and understood in context. I mean, it's very much what we're doing already. It's what GIS has been done for a long time. And I'd say that the ability to bring the BIM and CAD into a GIS environment delivers on a lot of the promises of the metaverse and digital twin and all these yeah. buzzy, buzzwordy things. Yeah, I, I picture it as, you know, you talk about all these things that can do and, oh, what if and what if. And we're, yeah. I think what Mark is hitting at is we're at that spot where, okay, now it's time to prove it. And here's how you do it. And here's how these things have to interact in order for you to actually get value out of all Well, that. yeah, that's just it. Where's the value add? Right. You know, that's what we're trying to figure out. Yeah, it's, it's not just sexy pictures. It's not just something that cool, looks cool on a screen for a demo to help you win a bid. Mm. But you know, I'm seeing projects all around the globe where, where typically construction managers or design build firms um, are coming together and are taking the BIM models that they've created for construction planning or for design and engineering purposes. And they're putting those into a GIS view so that that bridge exists in context. And literally you know, attaching IoT sensors to that bridge so that in real time in front of a dashboard, you're seeing whether that bridge is flexing or whether the environmental conditions are out of, of spec so that you know whether you should continue with your construction next to that old bridge or not. Mm. That's a digital twin. I mean, it's a, it's a 3D representation on a screen connected to IoT sensors that construction managers can look at and say, hey, we've got to stop pile driving right now. Yeah. Right. That, that's a digital in, in, twin. In real time. In real time, yeah. yeah. How do you, because... I'm assuming you and I are about the same age, and I know how 29. much work it is. Yeah. <laughs> Plus or minus 25 yeah. years. Um, exactly. <laughs> how do you keep up on technology? You know, um, I, I, I go to a lot of events like this. Mm -hmm. You know, Geo Week is here in Denver. I'm based out of Denver. That's really convenient. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Last week, there was an event here in town organized by a group called the Construction Progress Coalition, a three-day workshop mm -hmm. working on interoperability and challenges of information exchange. Um, I do a lot of traveling. I get a lot, a lot of conferences um, and have you know, pretty successfully created a pretty strong global network of AEC technology enthusiasts, which there's more than ever right now. It's a good time to be in this space because you know, just a number of things are, are happening at the same time. You know, our, our, our parents are retiring. I think that, you know, mm -hmm. right. we're the same age yep. um, and being replaced often by you know, millennials and a generation that expects technology mm -hmm. to just work. And that's putting pressure on the technology providers to make mm -hmm. their solutions work better together. 
um, unlimited computing via the cloud, visualization capabilities like we never would have believed. Yep. So I, I think that this industry is attracting a generation of tech enthusiasts and yeah. people who like to get their, their, you know, their hands on work and don't want to be sitting at a, at a desk mm -hmm. for eight hours a day for 40 years. So it's an exciting time in the industry. It's not hard right now, I don't think, yeah. to keep up with things other than so much is happening. Yeah, yeah. with a, a slide rule and a Leroy machine. There you go. <laughs> I'm just blown away by every, like, this whole building, you know, this whole conference and yeah. all the, I mean, there's just so much stuff that you didn't even think Crazy. about. Yeah. And the and I'm I, I think you're what you're saying especially is exciting. We get in the here's the survey land and then here's the 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 GIS land and and here's the construction land and I see that all kind of melding back together. Very much so. Yeah, kind of you know, a, a singularity, if you will. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, what well, were completely different camps are definitely coming together. The the blending and merging of BIM, which was typically building oriented or maybe a particular you know element of a roadway being combined with the GIS information, which was survey heavy and maybe satellite imagery or maybe mm -hmm. flyover imagery. These applications where GIS and BIM come together and, and the, the line between the two doesn't uh, exist yeah, anymore. I, I couldn't yeah. tell you where it is. Yeah, exactly. Where's the GIS end and where's the BIM start or vice versa? Interesting. Where do you see or what role do you see like AI and VR playing oh, good in question. the... Yep. Good. good question. You know, I've, I've gotten my hands on um, ChatGPT and used it for a, for a few things just to... I wrote some questions this morning with it. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, been, a, it's at the very least a tool to inspire yeah. and get you started. And yeah. I think that's I where agree. it's going to land in this industry. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, don't, I don't foresee architects or engineers being replaced, but I see the tools allowing them to explore more what-if scenarios, mm. to come to the table with some ideas that they might not have been able to pull out of their, their noggin themselves, but instead just put a prompt into a... a, a a web page and had a few ideas thrown their way that they can then explore with their client that would have maybe taken 10 meetings instead it was one. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's what I was just thinking of is all these ideas that in the past would be, oh, we don't have time to actually put everything together mm -hmm. to show what this could look like, even to decide if it's a good idea or not. And now the idea starts, you can put out, put it out there, let AI generate, you know, kind of what that visual is. And then it just, opens up more opportunities. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I think there will be pockets where an AI tool allows, with a few questions and a few inputs, a floor plan to be developed or a 3D model of a building yeah. to be yeah. no generated. Um, and maybe that is going to put you know, an architect or two or an engineer or two you know, out of a job because the work was such low-hanging fruit and so easy for a computer to do the work for us. But I think we've seen over the decades of computers infiltrating our life and our work it hasn't put people out of work. It's just changed the work that we do. Yeah, it's just it's still a net positive. Like, it is. You're, you're still moving forward, and you know. Then I picture the architect that okay, I can design this room with this three scenarios. You get these three options, mm -hmm. and now it's going to be okay. You have an infinite amount of options, and AI has just told you what the three best are. Yeah, and yeah. then you go from there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so talk about life at Esri. What is it? What's it like working for Esri? It's really great working at Esri, and, and you know, I, I'm not. You know, you know, just be a big flag waiver of, of, of the corporation, but it's nice to work for a company where you know your tools and solutions and software are really being put to good use. Um, uh. you know, Jack this morning did his keynote and he tells you know, a really visionary picture of all these, these amazing capabilities that we have and it's up to our generation and next generation to, to improve upon the, the world that we've been handed. And Esri Solutions do that. I mean, we're not just producing drawings and models for the sake of a bridge to be built. 
and we're not just you know producing software so that someone can you know you know write an article for a newspaper we're developing solutions that are saving lives that are that are impacting sustainability mm. that are you know presenting information to the engineers and the architects who i would say are responsible and even have a burden on their shoulders to deliver infrastructure that is sustainable that is resilient and our, our tools do that and that's kind of cool it helps you know you get out of bed in the morning and roll out and know you got some some drudgery during the day but you can look at some of the things your company's doing and really feel good about it. Yeah, that's yeah. cool, yeah. What's an example of how these solutions are saving lives? Um, well, you know, if you in the last few years saw a map that showed how COVID was spreading mm -hmm. or vaccines were available or where hospital beds were located, that was based on Esri, almost guaranteed. The map that everyone used, that Johns Hopkins map that started out as a little research project by a couple of grad students turned into a site that was literally tapped on 1.4 trillion times. That 40 percent of the, of the population amazing. got exposed to that, and that's just one example. Um, anytime there's a natural disaster, whether it's what just happened in Turkey with the earthquake, or the Loma Prieta earthquake many years ago, or wildfires in California, Esri has a team that immediately we throw our software and throw our expertise. We put together templates and solutions hmm. for those those um, those people who are trying to do good, and then we say we'll figure out the commercials afterwards. And you know, not a lot of companies come to the table when, when tragedy strikes yeah. the way Esri does. Our good friend, uh, Keith Masbeck, uh, he on his episode mentioned that we're in a geospatial moment, Man. which I love that. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, completely. I mean, you, you walk around now, you're, you're looking at your phone. How many times do you call up a map, whether it's to find out where the restaurant is or how to get home from the convention center at night? <laughs> or for whatever purpose. So oh, we yeah. have become so dependent on location data. Um, and that's just, you know, day to day as yeah. individual consumers. And at a professional level, I, I think there's just an expectation now, certainly in the engineering world, that you're not gonna open up a screen that's gonna be blank and you're gonna start putting lines down on that, that screen that represent where your road goes or where your building's gonna go. You want context, you wanna know, and need to know and need to react to where are the economic impacted zones so that you're not plowing a highway through it and where where are the hospitals and where are the schools and where are the rec centers so that we can put up a, a, a low-income housing environment in the right place right. so yeah we're definitely at a place where geography and location come into our, our professional world certainly mine in the AEC space more so than ever yeah absolutely and I really see the you know from a you know an engineering perspective like 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 you just mentioned you know the starting of the design process is not just a blank piece of paper and, and, and a marker anymore. You, you start with a map and a whole bunch of information and you use that to design and there's no, no, no blank slates anymore. And that's really cool. Well, yeah, I mean, we have more information and more data available to us than ever in history. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and every day yeah. it's just it's getting, getting more, more and more, more robust. Yep. And yeah. you can see here, I mean, the number of companies who've either got AI in their name or who are doing Im image processing, data processing, putting information into context for their clients is really exciting. Yeah. I like the fact there's, you know, it used to be everybody had like 3D in their name. Yep. Now it's 4D. I see velocity 5D over here. What? I don't even know what 5D is. We've got to talk to somebody over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We I need to know what that 5D yeah. is. Cost. Is ah. it? Yeah, 3D is X, Y, and Z. Yeah. 4D is time. Yeah. 5D is cost. And huh. I could I could keep going on. What's 6D? Uh, yeah, really. 6D is often facilities management or sustainability. Those two oh. get switched often. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, the BIM yeah, world. You got to you, you yeah. immerse yourself in the BIM world, man. We've been really? talking. We've been talking D's for a long time. <laughs> 
to a point of exhaustion. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Hilarious. What uh, else you got, yeah. Chad? Uh, I don't know, Mark. What about you? Anything else you want to get out there? You know, um, just that it's a great time to, to be in this AEC Tech space. Um, I, you know, I know that you guys, it's kind of a little bit on your tangential to, to, to surveying, but um, for a long time, that's what GIS was to AEC professionals. Yep. GIS yeah. was something you asked someone else to work on. Yeah. And nowadays, if you've got you know, a, a, a team that's working in CAD or BIM and working on infrastructure, they better have access to some GIS tools, mm -hmm. some digital surveying capabilities in their toolbox right yeah. next to their slide roll. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Mark, uh, best way for folks to reach out to you? LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn is great. Yep. Um, I'm always on LinkedIn. I'm finding myself messaging through that as much as anything these yeah. days. So, personally, yeah. um, I'm on LinkedIn, M-A-R-C, Goldman. Yep. And then um, to find out about Esri and what we're doing, esri.com slash AEC. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you for your time, Mark. Yeah, it's hey, been it was great. Really fun. Yeah. Appreciate Enjoy the it. week. Good talking to you. Take care. Yep.